This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 116. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you of the usual housekeeping stuff. If you do like this podcast, please share it around on social media. And you can find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook, at Brian McClanahan, on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. And of course, you can subscribe to my YouTube page. Just go out and look for Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to search for those things, you can go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll see all the little social media buttons. Also, if you're on my webpage, you can give me an email address, and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook, read by yours truly, also Forgotten Founders. And if you do like the podcast and you want to support it, you can do so at brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support, and you can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, and help keep the podcast going. Also, if you have not done so, please consider purchasing a copy of my new book, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, and when you do so, go out and leave a review. I would greatly appreciate it. Okay, so today I want to talk about something that was a big news issue over the weekend before we had, of course, the tragic events uh, that took place in Las Vegas. But I think this issue, and it was a headline on Drudge for for a couple of days, uh, leading up to it, and then, of course, as the event happened, and that was the referendum in Catalonia uh, dealing with Catalonian independence. And so I want to talk about that a little bit because I think it, there's, there's an American message here, um, and there is uh, an important p- uh, point to be made about this Catalonian independence movement. Now, I've written about this uh, a couple of times for uh, abbevilleinstitute.org, and in fact, uh, a piece that I wrote on it will go up tomorrow, and you're kind of getting a preview of that in this particular podcast. But um, I think this thing is, when you look at this movement in historical context, it's pretty depressing, actually, that this is the way things happened in Catalonia. Now, number one, what is Catalonia? Most people couldn't even find it on the map if they had to, but it's a region in Spain near the Pyrenees Mountains uh, on the coast uh, that has long been much more French than Spanish. Uh, Going back to the days of Charlemagne, uh, this particular part of Spain hasn't always been uh, interested in being part of a unified Spanish state. And so it has a very distinctive culture to it. Uh, The people in Catalonia are not like the people in the rest of Spain. You know, Spain is an interesting place. Uh, It was only a unified state, uh, became a unified state uh, back in the 15th century, uh, through the marriage of uh, the Catholic kings, uh, Ferdinand and Isabella. And um, at that point, you had this, this unified state. And of course, later they would add Portugal to it, and then Portugal was able to break away again. But this trend of that, of creating these nation states started taking place, of course, in that particular period of time. And then you move forward into the 19th century, and you get uh, the reign of Napoleon. One of the things I saw on, on one of these articles about Catalonia is that you know Catalonia became part of Spain under uh, the reign of uh, Philip V, who supposedly was Spanish. Well, Philip V was not Spanish; he was French. Uh, that was <laughs> that was Louis XIV's grandson, and um, he only became king of Spain through the War of Spanish Succession, which finished 
uh, in the 18th century, the early 18th century. Uh, so uh, that's how uh, you know Catalonia. One of the ways Catalonia was added to the uh, Spanish uh, Empire as well. But uh, then you move forward in time, and of course you get the modern Spanish state with Catalonia being part of that. But it, it has always been considered to be, again, much more French than Spanish. Uh, and so that's the question at hand. Do a people who have a distinct culture and history uh, have the ability or have the right to self-determination? Um, and what should the American position be in this particular situation? Uh, how should we view this issue of self-determination. Of course, the United States itself, the several states, were born through self-determination. Uh, so how should we view a self-determination movement? Now, one of the problems that people have, particularly conservatives in looking at self-determination, there's a couple of hang-ups. First and foremost, they get hung up in this Lincoln myth that secession, uh, you know, self-determination, which is all that is, is completely illegal. And you saw this in Spain. The Spanish court, uh, Spanish uh, court system, a uh, legal system, came down and said that secession is illegal. You can't do it in Spain. It's illegal. It's against the Constitution. So you have the law and order situation where people say, well, I mean, it's law and order. Uh, you can't do this if the courts say it's, it's illegal. Uh, if, the, uh, if the Constitution says it's legal, well, you can't do it. And then, of course, um, the, the other part of it, you have the situation where a lot of the people on the right are concerned about Marxist destabilization. And a lot of these secession movements are left-wing movements. And so the idea of the Marxists for a time was to destabilize governments, uh, to make it to where uh, the, these governments uh, would not, have, not be able to function properly because there are independence movements within uh, destabilization movements within. And so by doing this, you create this Marxist vanguard. And of course, by destabilizing the West, you create a climate that's ripe for Marxists to come in and take over. The problem with that particular situation is that Marxism has already really taken over Europe anyways. You look at many of the, uh, the quote-unquote Western democracies in Europe, they're Marxist countries. They have adopted a socialist uh, uh, political economy, and so they're not really anti-Marxist anyways. So by saying that these things are going to uh, somehow uh, avoid Marxism, uh, you're, you're looking at a situation that it just it doesn't exist already. I mean, we already have Marxist governments. Uh, so... Uh, and I know people say, well, some of these governments are on the right, et cetera, et cetera. But these are, I mean, these are states that have heavy uh, levels of, of uh, social welfare. Uh, and uh, uh, you look at your, uh, you know, Norwegian states, for example, Norway, uh, your, your, uh, your former uh, Viking states, you know, Sweden, things like that. Uh, you're looking at areas that already have uh, heavy influence from Marxism anyway. So uh, you're not really avoiding anything there. Uh, and, of course, when you look at this idea of, of uh, self-determination, I think it becomes clear that Americans should support this. Now, let's, let's take a look at Catalonia and, and kind of this, this uh, situation in more of a long view. So we've got, uh, you go back uh, to the late 1980s, and I remember sitting in class in 1989 and I had a teacher come in, and you could tell there was something different. Uh, and he came in and he said to, he said to the class, I'll, I'll never forget this year. Of course, it's 1989. He said, I never thought in my lifetime I would see this. I never thought in my lifetime I would see the fall of communism. 
uh, and he comes in and he, and he says, you all will remember this day for the rest of your lives. You remember this year, 1989, for the rest of your lives, because it is the day, it is the year that the world changed. And of course, he had grown up in the Cold War. We all had. All, all of us, uh, even, even at that age, um, I was still in, in, uh, in middle school, even at that age, we had grown up in the Cold War, so we had recognized what this thing was. And I had, of course, uh, you know, grow up in the Cold War, you get interested in these type of geopolitics and things. And even uh, at that age, I was interested in these things. And so you, you think to yourself, wow, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a monumental time. It's an important time. The Cold War is ending. Uh, the Berlin Wall is coming down. And, of course, uh, this was all happening peacefully. You know, there were, there were images of Soviet soldiers with flowers in the muzzles of their rifles. Uh, they weren't shooting anybody. This was completely different than the 1960s, uh, where the Soviet tanks were, were uh, sent in uh, to Prague. Uh, this, is, this is completely different than the building of the Berlin Wall. This was an episode that people couldn't believe was happening because no one was shooting anybody, and yet these communist governments were toppling. And not only that, you had secession movements taking place in, uh, in, in the Soviet Union. Now, of course, there was a little bit of turmoil there. There was an attempted hardliner coup uh, that failed. And by 1991, the Soviet Union had fallen apart. Again, virtually peacefully. I mean, it, it, there was some, some uh, uh, destabilization going on there, some violence. But for the most part, all of this happened without anybody really being killed. And it was amazing. Because nobody saw that coming. Everyone thought that if there were, ever was a challenge to uh, communism in Eastern Europe and communism in the Soviet Union, it would result in massive bloodshed. I mean, we're talking about nuclear war for years. Uh, the threat of nuclear war was every single day. There was people worried. I mean, we had you know the, the emergency broadcast system, which is now used for things like uh, weather-related emergencies, was originally used because we were concerned about nuclear war. And so when you look at the situation in North Korea now and how, that, uh, how that's become dangerous uh, with the threat of nuclear war and uh, people are talking about this, it's nowhere near the level that it was during the Cold War when uh, you know, Russian bombers were being sent almost into American airspace on a daily basis and then forced to turn around. And we were doing the same thing to the Soviet Union. So uh, we're in we're in a tense situation now, but it was much more tense back then. And people that are younger don't realize this. They didn't grow up in any of this stuff, so they, they they don't have any conception of how tense the situation actually was. So this Cold War, and we could talk about you know the, the value of the Cold War, whether it was really that important or other things. Uh, we could do a whole podcast on the Cold War, but. The Cold War ends, and it all happens peacefully. And I remember uh, the, the German rock band, the Scorpions, came out with a little ballad in 1990 entitled The Winds of Change. And in fact, that the piece that I wrote for, for uh, tomorrow for the Abbeville Institute is entitled that, The Winds of Change. Because the winds of change have stopped blowing, obviously. And this is sad. It's, it's really depressing when you think about it. Here you have these hardline Eastern European communist governments that were brutal. They would kill their own people for no reason, really, just because of opposition to the to the central authority. And in 1989 and 1990, they all just turned up, just turn around and say, "We're not going to shoot you anymore." And yet here we have Spain, which is supposedly a Western democracy, going in and sending in the jackbooted thugs 
to beat people up, throw, I mean, kids throw people downstairs, hit people with rubber bullets, all because they're trying to exercise their right to self-determination through a vote, through a vote, through democracy. This is supposed to be a Western democracy. And here you have a people saying, we're going to hold a referendum, a voice of the people to say, we want to leave. And now they didn't have, uh, they had only 42% of the people of Catalonia turned out. And that's because of the massive police presence. I think that a lot of people stayed home to avoid getting beaten up with clubs and shot with rubber bullets. They didn't come out to do it. Uh, and because they were afraid of the violence that was going to happen. I mean, the images are just horrible. Again, I mean, you know, it was women, children being caught up in this stuff. But of the 42% of the people that did turn out, over 90% of those people voted for independence. And it was thought that the presence of the police was turning a lot of the moderates toward independence, toward supporting it. So this is actually a full expression of self-determination, something that Americans should all stand behind and applaud and say, yes, we believe in self-determination. We believe that people, particularly a culturally unique people like the, like the Catalonian people, should be able to have some level of self-determination, some level of independent government. When we saw a, a vote that might have that took place in Scotland, it failed. Uh, we've seen the situation in Quebec. We've got self-determination movements taking place in the United States now, places like Hawaii and Alaska and Texas and Vermont and California. So we have all of these things going on. And what is the response of the United States? The Trump administration came out and said they support Spain. Uh, now, again, this is because I think conservatives in America are confused. They're into, quote-unquote, law and order. And, of course, when you support law and order, you're going to support the central state and their position saying, well, we, we, this is illegal. And, of course, Spain being an ally of the United States, the Trump administration doesn't want to you know, ruffle any feathers and uh, cause dissent. So they're going to support the decision of the Spanish government. But let me bring this home now to the United States. So, and I, I mentioned these self-determination movements, and, and even what's amazing is that the New York Times came out tepidly supporting the Catalonian independence movement. They said the Catalonian people had a culture, their own unique culture. Uh, they were a unique, culturally unique and distinctive people. And so uh, they came out essentially saying, you know, this is, this is something we should explore. Uh, maybe the Catalonian people deserve independence. And then you had an article in Town Hall saying the same thing, not only with Catalonia, but also with the Kurds in Iraq. And what's amazing to me, and just going to Iraq for a second, uh, years ago, Joe Biden actually came out and said, uh, well, what we need to do in Iraq is have a decentralized system where we have regional governments. We don't need a unified Iraq. We need an Iraq that's decentralized because the Kurds have their own culture, and you get these groups, these different political and cultural groups, and then you have regional governments, and you have a central authority that has very little power. That's federalism. That's a federation. And he was just castigated for this. Now, I'm no Joe Biden fan. I think Joe Biden has got a lot of problems. But this might have been a real solution to a problem in Iraq where you needed people of a unique cultural situation to have more autonomy. And so, of course, you can't do this, it was said, because that's going to lead to terrorist organizations popping up in these other states and uh, in these other regions of Iraq. And you can't, and maybe the, the Iranians are going to get involved. They're going to destabilize. So all these things, we need to have these megastates then, the forcing of incompatible things 
because it's better for order and stability and the rule of law. Now, again, that is a 19th century mentality forced it on a 21st century situation. This is what we were seeing in the 19th century, and it really is the great uh, problem of all of history. Centralization. We tend to think that centralization has been the, the cure for all that ails us. But in reality, it's centralization that's created all the problems. All people have wanted throughout history is to have some level of controlling their own life, their own political life. And as you look at empires or nation states, it doesn't matter. They go in and ruin those things. You saw it in Germany. You saw it in Italy. Uh, you're seeing it in Spain. You've seen it in, in Great Britain, Ireland, Scotland. You saw it here in the United States. You've seen it in South America. We should be supporting these self-determination movements because these, these movements are rooted in the principle that people can determine their own political fortunes and their own political future. That is the principle of the Declaration of Independence. It is the right of the people to alter or to abolish a government they consider tyrannical. And obviously in Spain, when you send in the army and you're throwing people downstairs and hitting them with rubber bullets and beating them over the head because they want to vote, that is tyranny. There's no other way to describe it. That's what that is. So you bring this back to the United States, and let's talk about some of these independence movements. I've mentioned you know, California secession before, and there's actually a wonderful article uh, in the recent edition of Chronicles magazine. And um, the, uh, the article uh, written by a man named uh, Jason Michael Morgan, who is a uh, professor in Japan, uh, in Chiba, Japan. And um, he writes this article, and it's The Pernicious Myth of Two Americas. And he begins the article talking about a San Francisco leftist and how she would love to live in the country, but she doesn't want to be around a bunch of bigots. Uh, these, you know, these evil uh, Red America people that uh, cannot be trusted uh, because they're just a bunch of bigots, a bunch of racists, whatever it is. They just don't like people. They hate people. And so she doesn't want to worry. So she'll just live in California. She'll live in, in San Francisco and deal with all the stuff in San Francisco because she doesn't want to live out in the country with those bigots. And it doesn't matter where you're talking about. There are rural people in California who she would, I'm sure, consider to be bigots because they are uh, more in line with the rest of real America than uh, California. And so then he begins talking about these quote-unquote bigots in the South. And he talks about how uh, their vision of America is the Jeffersonian vision of America. And I like that article for that particular reason. He brings us up uh, that Jefferson's vision of America was rooted in a place. And even though he was a leftist in his own place, he wasn't a leftist outside of that. He was committed to federalism. Committed, staunchly committed to federalism. And so but we've got these two incompatible things, supposedly, which I think we do. I mean, I really do believe this is, for the first time, in American history, we have groups of people that don't share common core values. You've got blue Americans that are more libertine, not libertarian, but libertine, in that they want anything to go. Uh, and then, not just that, anything to go for themselves. I mean, this is, this is the problem with it. Because these blue Americans uh, are... Uh, they favor this libertine society, which is undergirded by the social justice identity triplets of race, class, and gender. So everything is viewed through that lens. Race, class, gender. 
And this, of course, is foisted on people when they go to college, even in your public education system. Everything is that. Everything is some type of conflict between these groups. And so to, to get justice, you can use any means necessary, mob violence, property destruction, or anthem protests, uh, federal court orders, gender studies, sensitivity training, character assassination. All of this is there to bully people to get their desired goal, which is undermining traditional Western civilization. And this is why blue America and red America don't see eye to eye. Red America is looking at us and saying, well, that ain't my America. I don't understand what happened. Uh, and this is why you get Donald Trump, because they want to pull the lever for someone or anyone that will stand up to this stuff. They don't really care who it is, but somebody that talks tough and says this stuff is crazy. We don't like that. We don't agree with that. Um, and we'll use a strong central government to try to knock this stuff down because we don't like those people. We've really seen a polarization in America, I, I think, that hasn't been here since the 1850s, when in the 1850s people were calling each other vomit and devils. Uh, at least the North was calling Southerners that. And Southerners are, going to, of course, going to defend themselves, and that's going to create a hostile climate where neither side is going to communicate. So we're, we're heading into the 1850s again. But at that time, at least, there was still a general consensus on Christianity. People were still Christian, even though the views of Christianity were a little different. Uh, North and South, people were still uh, had a lot of the same uh, general opinions on society. Now, their cultures were different, but I mean, they're, they, they were, um, they, they wouldn't, for example, consider uh, any, they wouldn't consider gay marriage. I mean, that, that just wasn't something that they would even look at as being something that was even valid. Now we have uh, two, two groups that have split off of this, or something like, uh, um, you know, let's take another social issue that uh, two groups are splitting off and you're having distinctive camps now that are forming because these two camps can't really see eye to eye and can't really support each other. Uh, and I think that's the issue that we're confronting now in America. In, in 2017, we have two real different Americas. Now, uh, that is a problem. Uh, and maybe it's time for a divorce of incompatible things. And that's the situation we're running into with self-determination, which is why I think that uh, you know California secession. In fact, uh, as uh, as Dr. Morgan points out here, it should be the Red America, as I've said over and over, should be supporting California secession, not the other way around. America was Red America. I mean, look, the, the the idea that Red America is somehow the oddball is actually the the exact opposite. Red America, and I'm only using these terms blue and red because that's how people view the states now. you got blue states, which are Democrat, and red states, which are Republican, whatever. And I know people get upset with that Red America designation because that denotes communism and these type of things. But I'm not talking about that. I mean, you could say the lefties should be red and the other side should be blue, but it really doesn't matter. These are just terms that are used now, so I'm using them for this, for this purpose. But the point is... You've got a situation where red America is real America, and then you have the lefty oddballs. And so perhaps it's time to push for a divorce of the lefty oddballs from the rest of real America. This is, and Southerners, when you go back to 1860 and 61, Southerners shouldn't be the ones seceding at that point. It should have been the North. And in fact, the North was talking about seceding in the 1840s. 
uh, because the North was always the odd, the, the, the strange other. It was the deep North, not the deep South, that was the odd section in America through, throughout all of the first 80 years of American history. This is, there's no way you can look at it any other way. So, as I say in the piece, you know, maybe, maybe uh, you know, shacking up in 1788 was a bad idea. The Union worked fine when it only had certain defined powers, commerce and defense. And this is actually how the Union was sold to reluctant uh, delegates to these state ratifying conventions. Look, we don't need annual elections because we only have general things to do. It's commerce and defense. That's it. We're not concerned about what's going on in Boston or Charleston. We're not concerned about what's going on in Savannah or Richmond or Philadelphia uh, or uh, Harrisburg or Albany. We're not concerned about those places. We're concerned, well, I mean, they would be concerned about New York or Philadelphia as the, as the capital. But outside of that, we're not concerned with these things because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. These, these, this Congress has no control over those things. But now, of course, with nationalism and this idea of a unitary state and all things has to come from the top down, and uh, we've got uh, you know one-size-fits-all solutions to every problem under the sun, this is where we get to this. Now, I think that millennials, the younger people, are more receptive now to this idea of self-determination than any other period in American history in a long time. And I mean, you could say that, uh, you know, the young people were interested in self-determination in 1775 and 6, and of course, 1860 and 61 in the South. So we've had, but we're having a resurgence of this. Now, that doesn't mean that all young people think this. You've got the Antifa idiots running around out there, uh, you know, engaging in violence. There are a lot of young people, or you got young people at universities uh, wanting to uh, abolish uh, Western civilization courses because, or at least they want these Western civilization courses to be more inclusive. You're talking about Western civilization. It's about Europe. You're not going to talk about other places in Western civilization. Uh, so, I mean, this is it's just stupidity on a massive scale. But uh, there are a large number of young people that are seeing things and are saying, you know, I'm not really interested in violence. I don't, I don't really like that. Uh, maybe we should just have people take a vote. We just take a vote. We don't want to be here when we're part of this. We're out. And so the people driving California secession, in fact, are young people. They're out there saying we need to get out of this. And, and there were young people driving uh, the secession movement of Vermont. Young people. Young people who are looking at the situation and saying, we've got incompatible things. They've grown up in a society where divorce is rampant. What's the divorce of a state? It doesn't really matter. Can we just go our own way? Can we just have our own thing? Can't we have our own type of government? We want to be left alone anyways. Why should somebody tell us what to do? Uh, why should an outside force tell us what to do? Let's just have these incompatible things go away. And you look at the Catalonian independence. You had a lot of young people out now, older people too, but a lot of young people were out there supporting this because they just want their own country that recognizes their own cultural distinctiveness. And you have places in the United States with cultural distinctiveness. Even if the conversation in America somehow could turn towards more regional government, where the central authority doesn't have much control over what happens in regions in America. I think you would have a much happier population. It's this idea of decentralization that has really taken hold. Uh, and people, this is why you have you know, the 10th Amendment movement. This is why you have people talking about nullification and doing things. Because those areas, these places, 
want to have control over their own lives and not have somebody in Washington, D.C. or some federal judge or some radical left-wing group that comes in to destroy things. They, they want to be able to control that stuff. They want to be able to control their own destiny. Now, uh, this, is, this is a major issue moving forward for Americans. How do we look at self-determination in our own country? We should be supporting it in Catalonia. We should be supporting it for the Kurds. We should be supporting it anywhere in the world where you have a situation where people are trying to exercise their ability to control their own destiny. That is the American position. I mean, look, secession is uniquely American. It's 100% American. We're only here because of secession. In 1776, the founding generation decided to secede from the British Empire. And that set forth a course that uh, Americans have been, uh, you know, can't really deviate from. Uh, and, and that principle should be celebrated and cherished. And Jefferson continued to support that throughout his life. I mean, he viewed the Western territories as being an area open for future independent republics. It wasn't just going to be part of an empire. And one of these, uh, maybe in the next episode or a couple episodes, I'll talk about uh, this idea that uh, you know, somebody asks this question: Well, what about the Western territories? How can they? Uh, how could they be uh, independent? Uh, because they were they were territory of the United States, uh, and so I need. That's a very interesting legal argument that I I, I want to get into at some point, uh, because I think that that argument it doesn't really hold hold water, uh, but. It's one that's often used. I've seen it used several times. Well, maybe 13 states could be independent, but the rest of the people couldn't because that was all federal territory. It just doesn't hold water. Uh, so looking at a distinctive, a culturally distinctive people in a, in a region that had been independent in particular, but not just that, even if it wasn't, we should be supporting self-determination, particularly through a vote. I mean, there was no violence that was going to be used. It's just people standing there. The jackbooted thugs were beating up firefighters. And unarmed police officers? I mean, this is how crazy this stuff has gotten. That's tyranny. That's tyranny. And we shouldn't be supporting that. No matter where it is in the world, the American policy should be one of self-determination. Whether it, whether it helps us or not, we should be supporting it. And so, Catalonia was a big story. Uh, and unfortunately, we had the terrible, terrible violence in Las Vegas, and it kind of got you know pushed aside, and, and rightfully so. I mean, the situation in Las Vegas is horrible, uh, but uh, this is a big story, and I think will be a big news story moving forward uh, as 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 things start to uh, more information comes out and things start to die down. We're going to see more of Catalonia and what's happening there, and it is going to be a defining moment, I think, for self determination in the rest of the world and how the world responds to it and how Americans respond to it, we should be supporting that movement, whether we agree with their politics or not, because that is a culturally distinctive people who want self-determination. That is the American position. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClendon Show.